Acts 15, Making Significant Decisions. This has been produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Part of this series on the book of Acts, Advancing and Changing Through the Spirit. series and acts advancing and changing through the spirit and what we've been saying is that through um, the early church that God's spirit was mightily working and guiding the church empowering the church to be able to accomplish great things it was for us a model of sorts a pattern for us to be able to learn how to grow what how we should think about the Lord how the Lord wants to work through our lives to be able to reach people all throughout the world Today we'll be looking at Acts 15 and under the topic, Making Significant Decisions. But I just did want to start by just reading one verse from Acts 1, one that you're familiar with, but it's the theme for the whole chapter, for the whole book, I should say. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. This will bring about challenges to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And some of these challenges is what we'll be looking at today when they make significant decisions. So let's bow in prayer as we continue. Lord, we thank you so much that you have sent your son to die for us, Lord. And we pray that the wonderful name of Jesus the lovely name of Jesus would be broadcasted throughout the earth that you would cause millions and millions of people, even as you have, but many more to come to know you. Lord, not just in a timid, shy way, Lord, but Lord, we pray that you might embolden our faith and our belief, our confidence in you and the way the Holy Spirit works in and through us, that all the more that the gospel might go throughout the earth and that the name of Jesus be praised. Now come, O Lord, this morning, Revive us, stir us up, Lord, and indeed help us to know how to make significant decisions in a way that enable the gospel to go forth even more powerfully. In Christ we pray, amen. We've been taking a thematic look through the book of Acts, and we've already down to the people of God's kingdom, and through this section we're actually looking at different individuals and how they relate to others, and how they allow God's Spirit to work in them to do mighty things. And so today we'll be looking at some characters, uh, quite a few actually, it's a whole good group. Uh, they all come together. Uh, we think of, who else do you think in the book of Acts? You think of Barnabas, you think of Paul, you think of Simeon, who is Peter, right? Uh, you think of uh, Silas and others. And well, they're all going to be meeting together uh, today when we talk about it. And we'll see how they, in a, in a special way, be able to work together. Now, the church throughout time always is facing issues. Now, not just the church as a whole, individuals too. The individuals, of course, together is the church, the believing. We think of religious persecution. Back in uh, about 600s on, the, the great church, actually, is a very strong church in North Africa, was wiped out because of religious persecution. War. Uh, even today, the war goes, people want more territory, they want the oil that's in that district, they'll go and wipe out Christian villages. That's happening today. Political elimination. Christians are inconvenient. They believe in truth. They don't want to listen just to whatever the media is saying. So in some countries, they just say, we don't believe in that, we don't want you to believe in it, and they'll just eliminate believers. 
try to eliminate the church. Disease, all across the world, disease and other things like poverty uh, strike believers and hit the church hard. Materialism is one having wealth and being able to become self-confident begin to challenge the church in such a way that the church no longer believes it needs Jesus, needs the Holy Spirit, and it can guide itself. And this, again, has hit um, the Western world in, in a very strong way and threatening philosophies of many different sorts. All these are striking the church, but in my mind, what I find that the, the worst is the inner strife. Inner strife. It's when within the church there are problems that happen because the loss of love is a loss of life. Without the testimony of love, what is there to share about Jesus? Jesus is a mere religious person without his love and be able to understand who he is. Jesus said it very carefully. He said, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love for one another. Now I've been part of churches and seen other churches because of strife, no longer was God's love very evident. No longer was God's love very clear and evident. And they lost his life, lost their testimony. Well, we're going to be looking at making these wise, significant decisions. In verses 1 through 21, we're going to be talking about how you actually make those important decisions, looking at a model and how they did that because they were facing a crisis. Uh, second of all is the communicating important decisions from verse 22 to 36. Now, when we make important decisions, I want you to understand and be able to kind of apply this to your own life and situation. I don't know about your life. For example, my family, you know, whenever we had... Uh, Differences of opinion, what do you do? Well, when I was growing up, we, we just had so much hatred, bitterness, division, uh, you know, all the screaming, the hitting, the fighting, you know, all, all the clamor coming together. Not a very pleasant situation. When I want to go to college, just let me get out of my home, Massachusetts area. I just want to be as far away as possible because I wanted to escape. And if you grew up in a situation like that, you might be nice and calm on the outward, but inside you still carry some of that bitterness from the past. Uh, it, it goes with you wherever you go. You can't run away so easily as uh, running to a different college. You need to find Jesus' peace in your heart. But the way you learn how people handle different differences of opinion early growing up greatly impacts how you might handle them in a public situation or within your own family later on. We need to Relearn how to do it the right way. And fortunately for us, Acts 15 is a wonderful model for us to learn how to handle difficult decisions that come around. Now, as we look at this, we're going to look in the first section here on making important decisions. This is still A. How to detect the problem, verses 1 through 5. Discuss the problem, 6 to 12. Resolve the problem, 13 to 21. And yes, we won't be able to get into all the details. You know, what if this happens and what if this happens? Hopefully we'll talk about some of them. But I do want you to know the, what the Holy Spirit was showing us here is that he was overseeing the whole situation to make a terrible circumstance into one that actually brought forth God's love, peace, and harmony. And that's what I hope that we begin to develop in our own lives, 
somehow, some way, God is able to make harmony in a very difficult situation. Uh, if you're married, you might think, last time you had an argument with your wife or husband, could it be different? Yes, it can be different. And that's the whole point of what God wants to do in our lives. We don't need to have that anymore because the Spirit of God is there working. So let's first of all talk about detecting the problem in verses 1 through 5. Let me read this for you. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension, and note that, dissension, okay, uh, and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now, just by quickly hearing here from verse 1 and verse 2, what do you, verse 5, you see the tension that was there. So let's look at this a little more closely. I mean, what I want you to see, first of all here, as we open up Acts 15, right? What do we find? That just before this in Acts 14, at the end, Paul and Barnabas just came back from a wonderful first missionary trip. This might be called the first missionary trip of the church. Uh, this is a map of it. They went off from Antioch, Syria, went down to Cyprus there, which was the home area of Barnabas. Then they went up into what nowadays, uh, modern-day Turkey, um, notice that there is also an Antioch Pisidia. Uh, don't make sure you differentiate the two. And then they came back. And at the end of chapter 14, we find, and when they had arrived and gathered the church together, Paul and Barnabas began to report, this is verse 27, began to report all the things that God had done with him and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. And it's just terrific, you know, and what God has just done, and what God has just done. Well, first of all, uh, it doesn't, it's not so hard to detect the problem at some point. I think some issues are very clear. They're so obvious, and they begin to impact us. In this case, because they're outsiders, they came to Antioch in Syria, where Paul and Barnabas was, and they came back there. Some men from Judea down in the south, not on this map, went up there and began to teach them a different teaching. You had to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. Now, this was essential and important, they're saying. Now, how does this all connect? Well, first of all, it's the Gentiles, which are non-Jews, are now told they're believing in Jesus. Now, if we're going to really make them kosher, holy, dedicated to the Lord, real believers, they have to be circumcised. All the men, right, need to be circumcised. Seventh day, and if later they come to know the Lord, they just need to be circumcised. That way we have a good, godly community dedicated to God. Now, from their perspective, this was very important, and we need to begin to understand what they're saying. So in verse 2, they find that actually Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. 
Dissension talks about they differed in their opinion. Debate meaning that they began to bring up both their sides, their opinions. And I would just say, first of all, that this is very important, that we bring up the different um, opinions and decisions that are, are coming across. Oftentimes, we don't do that. And in, in our lives, when we just say, I know what I believe, but we don't listen to what the other side really is saying, then there becomes a, a, a gulf there where we can't cross over. They're saying something, I'm saying something, each is shouting at each other, but you're not really listening. I've found in dealing with things, always listen to people. Now, I know my children will say, oh, he's not listening to me. Uh, maybe my wife say, oh, he's not listening. Well, I, I'm trying to listen better. But the point is, not just listening so I can say it. I'm trying to listen to what is behind what they're saying. And this is so important. For, for this case, for example, they can just say, no, you're wrong. Um, we're seeing all the Gentiles come to know the Lord. God's working in them. So just be quiet. Everything's fine. But they did spend time with them talking and debating uh, as they all knew the law and they knew the scriptures. And so they were going back and forth trying to understand what they, want, what they were saying. This is so important for us to understand why people are saying that. And if anything, from the people from Judea, they were concerned that these people would be holy. That is a good goal. Uh, that these people really wanted good, strong believers among the Gentiles. This was good. They weren't saying, don't let them believe. So if we can identify with their main purpose and goal, it helps so much in being able to see where those people are coming from, from genuinely listening from them and value, valuing those people. It makes a big, big difference. I also want you to notice that every significant advance in the kingdom of God will be challenged. We go from a missionary trip, a big report, many Gentiles coming to know the Lord, not just in Antioch, but all throughout that Turkey, Cyprus area, and all of a sudden, there's a challenge. Now, we do not want to underestimate dissension either. There was a great divide in opinion, and which to me can threaten the church. I've seen many churches divide. Not always ones that I belong to, but I've seen them split apart. If you're part of one of those churches, you might have been crushed. You say, I never want to be part of a church again. I never want to take part in a church again. I've seen leaders speak out in anger. I don't want to see that again. Not everyone has learned how to rightly handle division, debate, discussion. But we can be more patient. A gentle answer turneth away wrath. Be concerned. Be concerned. As I say, I'm still learning this. I really want to master this. Because this is the capstone of God's love in our lives. And we can have it. We can have love. But be careful. Once you think you have love, once you have a church that's growing, once your ministry is expanding, you're going to be challenged. And it might just be this area that those that loved you all of a sudden seem to be against you. Now, how are you going to respond to that? Well, as we go on, I, first of all, we want to look at what they did. In verse 3, it talks about they made a decision, go from Antioch 
down to Jerusalem. Paul, Barnabas, the other brethren said, hold it, we need to get a bigger picture here. Let's go to the actual leaders in Judea, in Jerusalem, and see what they're saying. And let's see what God wants us to resolve from this whole situation. They didn't just act as some independent, successful uh, ministers. Uh, you know, I'm an independent evangelist. No one's telling me. I'm getting my own pay. I'll just do what I want. Uh, but they work together. And it's just this type of harmony and commitment to leadership is important. And it's actually kind of rare today. There was an update in, in verse 4 that we find here. Paul, actually, and Barnabas, on their way there, I did, did want to mention that, they stopped in Phoenicia, which is about halfway across from Sal Salamis. Phoenicia, which is a foreign country, and <clears throat> Samaria, which you know is the northern part, uh, the old Israel, but where they're kind of like half-Jews. Both those places, many Gentiles were coming to know the Lord, or Samaritans were coming to know the Lord, and they reported what God was doing on their missionary trip. I think this is so important. Even though there's this big problem in the church, they weren't going all the way down to Jerusalem. Oh, we got to solve this. we got to get rid of these guys. Oh, what a big problem we have. They went to the place and started telling people about how great the works of God were. They didn't let a, a, a problem block out their ministry. And I find this, you know, so easily happened. What am I thinking about when I go to sleep? Oh, that argument I had or that problem, that jealousy, that, that problem I have in my life. And it blocks me out from ministry. At any point we see this happen, what we've had is let Satan come in and hold us back from doing what was most important. Telling people about God's great works, his love, his care. But Paul and Barnabas, they stopped in Phoenicia, stopped, and when they got to Jerusalem, they continued on, and they reported there. They were just full of joy and trusted the situation into the Lord. And lastly, we see here, they were rediscovering the problem because, as it says, those in Jerusalem there, the Pharisees that did come to know the Lord, a number of Pharisees did, and, but they had a concern about the circumcision. Now, the, this issue about circumcision, or if we might expand it a little bit, that the necessity of doing some rituals or laws or obeying the Old Testament in order to be saved is a very significant event. It's changed for many of us because we weren't brought up in an Old Testament, maybe somewhat like a Seventh-day Adventist situation might be like, you know, just closed in just to the Old Testament or Jewish situ situation. There's or some, uh, some cults that, that are just so focused on those things that you have to do these things in order to be saved. But it, it is reoccurring situation in that sense that are you saved by, how are you saved? Are you saved by belief in Jesus or saved by doing these things? This is an issue that has been alive all through the years. It actually was settled here at this first council in Jerusalem back in 50 AD. But it seems to come up under a different disguise here and there. Not because of the Old Testament law necessarily, but because of our confidence that what we need to do, I need to go to church every Sunday if I'm going to be saved. You know, some people growing up, at my, when I was growing up, they had, if I didn't go to church on Sunday, whew, I would be canceled out of heaven. And, and that's how they were taught. And, and there, there's things like this uh, that come in, their mind, in, in people's minds and are taught. Just to steer people to, to perform.
But it's, it's steering people to perform in that way from these laws. Those laws almost become equal to being saved. Let's go on. This is detecting the problem in verses 1 through 5. Let me go through some applications, review that, and we'll go on. First of all, truth is a reflection of what is rather than what one wants. Truth is worth determining because it affects our life and welfare. I know today many would say, yes, all that doctrinal debate, throw it in the garbage can. Let's not even have it. We can differ in what we believe. We're buddies. We'll just call ourselves Christians, brothers, sisters. We don't need to talk about doctrine. Is that what they did here? No. They actually talked about it. They debated about it. They wrestled with it to be able to understand the truth. And many of us today have forsaken the truth. You want to run for you know, a church that doesn't talk about truth, doesn't need truth. That kind of church does not belong to Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ has the truth that's built on the scriptures, and it's so important to implant ourselves on that. In other words, it's worth working through the relationships, the mind, the struggle, so that we can work together. Don't get caught unaware. As I said, this was an issue that, because people were coming from the outside, it became a, a prominent issue, so it was very easily disguised. But I would say on some other issues that came up, uh, such as the cult of Gnosticism, it crept into the early church, and it caused a lot of problems. Uh, and it was a whole different way of being saved by getting to know the angels' names and things like that. But somehow that mystic type of experience and knowledge uh, captured their attention. Uh, and so a lot of the church was going aside. Remember to shine. Even if you've got some problems with others, oh, no problem's big enough to block out for you to be shining and telling people about Jesus. Never let a problem cause so much anxiety and trouble in your heart that you just say, oh, oh well, this is like what life is like. It's not. You don't have to be dominated by the issues around you. There's a joy in knowing Jesus. Let him take care of it. At time, you will discuss it. You will debate it. But trust it in God's hand. And you'll be able to live out a confident life in God's power and love. Let me go on to discussing the problem, verse 6 to 12. We're going to go on a little bit quicker through these, uh, especially a little later on. But let me read these verses here in 6 to 12. And the apostles, the elders, came together to look into this matter. Now notice here, they're in Jerusalem. The apostles joined with the elders. Elders meaning the leaders of the church, uh, like an elder that we might have here. Maybe not in full-time ministry, but different than the apostles. They came together to look into this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. And all the multitude kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Saul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So, First of all, in verses 6 to 7, we see 
that they allow the different sides to voice their opinion and understanding. Again, learn to genuinely listen to others. See what God's trying to say through them. Second of all, verses 7 to 9, we find that there is a place for experience. Now, we have to be a little bit uh, careful here. This experience was legitimized by what they call signs and wonders. There were special things happening among the Gentiles that showed that God was really working in them. When Peter shared, what he did was go back and shared how God led him first to work among the Gentiles. Acts 10, if you remember. Hope you remember. I think we went through that chapter before. But there, Peter just says, do you remember what happened to me? Because after that experience, he did share it with other people. In fact, Peter was resistant to what God was doing. He had that dream three times, that vision, come down, eat these unclean things. He said, no, not me. But what it was was God trying to say the Gentiles, which to him was unclean, never touch, don't say, don't talk, don't get near, were people that God says, I made clean. And God was changing how he was working among people and how the Jewish people were to work with them. There is a place for experience. And when Peter resisted that, and yet later he says, all right, I'll give in. When he went there, he saw God's spirit work in them, and those people with Cornelius and others believed in the Lord. They began to have miracles. They believed. They were, and, he, and Peter said, what was I going to do but baptize them? For the same thing that happened in Acts 2, not everything, like the tongue on the fire, you know, like this, but they were speaking in tongues. Those things were happening that was signifying that God's spirit was working in them. And Peter said, I couldn't stop back from doing this. And so he went forward. And that was the beginning where the Gentiles came to know the Lord. So God first revealed the gospel to the Gentiles. He later confirmed it by the sign of the Holy Spirit. So it is experience, and yet it was confirmed there. But I also want you to note that there was a cleansing their hearts by faith. He saved them by faith. In other words, when they believed in Jesus, they heard about Jesus, they believed God's Spirit came into their life. It didn't say that they first needed to be circumcised, or they had to do this. They had to become good Jews for six months, and then they would pass a test, and then they could become have the Holy Spirit work in their lives. No, God, who knew their hearts, broke through that and began to show Peter and others that this uh, was happening. Now, this is an experience. It was brought up at this council, and it was considered important. But I do want you to say it's not just an inner type of mystic, I had this one thought or something that we can use in a very objective way. There was an objectivity about this experience that others could see, and therefore could easily be part of the decision-making process. Uh, the conclusion here of what he said, P, um, Paul and Barnabas later was confirming this is exactly what happened to Peter. It's happening there in, in, in Antioch, Pisidia. It's happening there in the land of uh, Barnabas and Cyprus. It was happening in Antioch of Syria. We shouldn't trouble the Gentiles anymore with the law. So, now, I just want to say another thing. Confirming signs among the new works are not signs of salvation of all believers. 
This is a problem that is very big in some circles anywhere where you would cross around the globe right now. And for some, it's a very sensitive issue. Maybe for some, you say, oh, we need to have a discussion about these things. Let me just see, look at the book of Acts, the experience of tongues and miracles in its context, will you please? Okay. Because some are insisting that these signs, such as speaking in tongues, is a confirmation that I'm a believer. I have to speak in a different language or a tongue of an angel or something to show that I'm a believer. This is not what's happening. It did happen, okay? But not so much for showing that the individual believed, but showing <clears throat> instead that it's a sign that God was working among this people. Now, it's a sign for them, themselves, the Gentiles, to say, wow, God is mighty, God is working. When I go to India, for example, or to different parts in Africa, they, this person, did you know, he, he was on a coconut tree, he fell down, he broke his back. But look at, here he is, this is the guy. What happened? Oh, God's, God healed him. He came to know the Lord. You know, I, I keep running to people like this, and it's, oh, that would happen. And you were dying, what happened? Uh, you, you have some medicine. No, no, we don't have any money for medicine. We don't have any heal. No, God healed him. He said, if I believe in Jesus, if you heal me, I'll go serve you. Happened again and again and again. So, I mean, it's, it's not a rare thing. But in, in terms of a new work, it's very significant for a new work to establish that God is real and that he has power, that he really is working. So these signs are happening. Uh, the, the speaking of tongues, again, it, it, it's a sign that God's spirit was there, a vi very visible sign for others to see that God was working among this people group. It was good. It was good, just like in Acts 2. It was a sign that God was alive and working. But not a sign that, oh, I need to speak in a tongue before I'm a, believe, before I'm a believer. No, that's not what it's trying to say. Look in the whole context of the book of Acts, and you'll see this happen about four times, I believe. Uh, and it's each time in the context of establishing a new work. And we can talk more later if you wish. But, uh, you know, it, it's a special way that God really wanted to confirm to the believers there, but also to the Jerusalem church needed to be affirmed, yes, this was a work of God. So from their looking to the outside, are these Gentiles believing? Is it going to be the same thing as the Jerusalem church believer, all the Jews believing? Is it going to be the same as these Gentiles believing? They were very suspicious. God said, no, they're all mine. And so he did the same thing with all of them to show they're all mine so they would all believe that they're all one group, one body, which is so important to the Lord. Also, salvation is by faith. If you look at verse 9, it says, by faith through grace, verse 11. And he's trying to solidify here salvation, the means of salvation, is through faith in the great name of Jesus. That's where our forgiveness of sins comes. That's where our righteousness comes through Jesus. It's through grace, both Jew and Gentile, Romans 3. We're all sinners. Nobody deserves it. Why put the yoke of the law on these Gentiles? When we couldn't do it, they couldn't do it. That's no good. We all say by grace. In other words, God was especially good to us, not because any of us could earn our way before God. I want you to understand and, and look through your own life. Are you depending on hoping that I go to church or I read the Bible or brought up in a Christian family that somehow God will accept me because I'm trying to be good? He'll never accept you that way. 
It's only by grace. It's only the point you realize, I haven't kept the law. I haven't been faithful. I need him to forgive me. When you believe in the great name of Jesus, he'll take away all your sins. He'll make you his child forever. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a message that's going all around the world from early on back then, even to now, spreading to the very last places on earth that haven't heard the gospel. And people, the first time they hear it, sometimes the 10th time they hear it, sometimes the 30th time they hear it, uh, we just heard a testimony, 30 years they heard it, but they believed. And it's just so marvelous to see the change that God would accept anybody to be his child, no matter how old, young, beautiful, ugly, rich, poor, doesn't matter where you're from on earth. This is God's wonderful grace given to all of us. So it's by faith you're saved. It's by belief in Jesus that he actually had died for me and would take away my sins. God would accept me through Jesus. It's through grace saying that it's not because of my works, but because of his kindness. And because of that, we don't boast in our own selves, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. We boast in God's grace and his goodness. And forever we're thankful. Forever we're thankful. As we go on, let's just quickly look at the, how they resolve this problem in verse 13 to 21. Notice here, in, up to this point, they've been talking about experience. I use, I use the phrase God-led experience. Uh, objectified experience. It's important. But James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which at that point, the leader of the church all together, the brother of Jesus, he said, what do the scriptures say? And so what we need to find is that we always need to go back to the scriptures and see what the scripture says. This is what he says, verse 14. Simeon, which is Peter, Apostle Peter, if you remember Simeon, that was his has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree. Okay, notice how he's going back to the scriptures here. The words of the prophets. And you say, well, what prophets is this? Well, these are the prophets we're talking about in the book of Amos. Okay, so we're not just focused on experience, not feelings, not mere circumstances, not just one group's opinion, but the scriptures. And I want to challenge you here. How much do you value what the scriptures say over your own opinion? I think some people are afraid to look in the Bible. Oh, I'm afraid what it might say about creation, and I find that God's not true. He is true. And you don't have to worry whether science will mesh with creation. Look in the Word. Study it you'll find that the truth will bear forth that God made all things. I was just uh, recoursing uh, yesterday, I think, oh, when I went to school, you know, we, we didn't understand anything about biology. We just had protoplasm, a gray mass that lives. If people have that living mass, they live. And uh, my biology class was a long time ago. And it's so funny, but now we can go, right, enter into the cells and see what all these components of these cell factories are doing. So marvelous a design that testifies to the great designer. Beautiful design. Wonderful word of God that we can trust. You want to know a better marriage, better parenting? Go to God's word. Even here we're talking about how you learn to solve issues. We need to go to God's word. 
in verses 16 and 18 here, notice that there's four things I want to point out that he says. This is quoted from Amos. He says, I will return. He says, God's going to come back and start dealing with his people again. He did this through Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus. He second of all said, I will restore it. Restore what? Jesus is going to restore the people of God. They turned away. Now God is going to build up the people of God all under what we know as the new covenant. They were called the church. Church simply means a gathering of, of God's people. Thirdly, it talks about a remnant, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. The remnant is talking about the Jewish people, the ones that still had faith. They would come and believe. We find this, of course, in the book of Acts. But we also find that he's talking about very clearly, this is an Old Testament quote, all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, they will seek. So all the non-Jews out there, they're going to be part of it. And so this is what's testified in the word. This is what we see God doing. James was saying, the scriptures confirm with what we see and happening. So the decision, well, let's not trouble the Gentiles, okay? We're saved by grace through faith. They don't need to, you know, do this and this before the law to be saved or even to maintain their salvation or relationship with God. But there are three things they wanted to do, okay? Three things that were required. First of all, abstain from things contaminated by idols. Um, we see Paul talking about that in Romans chapter 13, 14. Foods that are offered to idols. To the Jews, this was terrible to eat those things. Okay? So, now I want you to think about this situation here. Will you lose your salvation if you eat food that's offered to an idol? Clearly not. This is not what it's trying to say. But, when the Jews met, say, in Antioch, the church met in Antioch, you had Jews, you had Gentiles. What do you do when the church gets together? You have the Lord's Supper. You all get together and have, not like our communion in there, but you join together in a meal. And you remember Jesus. So if I'm eating one thing, and what did you bring today? Well, I brought this. And the Jews, you're going to say, I can't eat that. You know, and... Uh, and what did you bring? Well, I brought something that was strangled, you know, and all that blood, good blood is in it. And I, no, I can't, I couldn't eat that. I mean, actually, that goes back to Genesis 9, where after the flood, he says you shouldn't eat things that are strangled. Um, instead, let the blood drain out, okay? That's when God gave permission to eat. So it's, that's even pre-Moses. Uh, but you abstain from these things. And, and the, second, the second one that's mentioned here, I... I I skipped over this from fornication. Uh, among, it's like today, okay? You have a person come to know the Lord and everything's fine and they happen to just have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And in their mind, they have never been taught otherwise. And so here he's trying to say, you have to keep your distance. No fornication, no sexual intimacies with people before you're married, okay? This is so important. These are three things that they said, you want to keep harmony within the church. Do these three things. The Jews agreed, Gentiles agreed, let's go for it, okay? And so this was the decision that was made because it says for Moses, from ancient generations, they've all heard this, and so they know all these things 
these things are so offensive that it's going to build a division in the church and the Gentiles and Jews won't want to meet with each other even though they're both believers in Christ. The harmony was more important. Limiting myself was more important. The love for one another was so important. Notice the importance of what's happening here. Do you see how the decision process was making? Very divisive situation. Yet through the experience that they all heard about, and Peter, uh, through James, looking at the scriptures, we find that God was working. Use conversation where one genuinely listens to another because you care about them. Even if you differ, why, why is that so important to you? Let me learn from your concern. Second of all, believe in absolute truth. If you say, I don't know if it's really all true. I believe what, whatever I think is true, right? That's arrogance. Humble yourself under the scriptures. Let the scripture, God's word, be truth. Let him speak. What is real, be real. You conform to truth, and in that way, wherever you do that, you will find your sins will disappear. Your relationships will clear up. Everything will be much better. You stand up for the truth. Debate's okay. Don't be afraid. Just do it in love, trying to seek the truth. Value God-led experience. Yeah, it's part of everything. Use scripture for final judgment. Submit to the scriptures. So we just want to care about what they're saying, care even more about what God is doing. Now, I just want to remind you as I kind of look at this, this is the first church council. We call it ecumenical council in the sense that all the, the leaders of the church were represented. Now, this was just a small church at this point, but there's a lot of councils and many more than this. And in fact, as you go on, we start seeing that there's some problem with the church councils that developed. Not listed on here is a, church, a council of Trent in the 1500s, but it wasn't like this council at all. 75% of all the people there were those from Italy, and they were swaying the whole vote. In fact, they turned aside what was voted in Jerusalem Council. They turned aside and says that you will become a believer with faith and works. See what happened? Not everything that comes out of a council might be good. Are they really committed to the scriptures or committed to a policy? Even early on, in 300s, what happened was the emperor who was in charge, Constantine, though maybe did a lot of good things, he says, I want to oversee this church council of Nicaea. Well, this led, maybe okay at that point, but it led to a lot of problems later on when government began to dominate what needed to be done and believed upon. And of course, we have this problem even today. And so, let me just say, there's a lot of discussions. Some of these discussions, I don't think you need to spend hundreds of hours and divisions in churches over them. Like, to Jesus, okay, he's God and man, but they had several councils trying to clarify, well, which part was God, which part was man, and it all became so important to them. And when he made a decision, was it from God or was it from his man part? But they, the church is divided over these whole issues. They don't need to. Not if you allow the scriptures to say, did Paul, did Jesus point as this would be a relevant point that should dominate our minds? No. He said, go make disciples. That's what should be dominant. 
teach them what Jesus taught them. That's what should dominate our discussions and minds. Yes, man does have a lot of problems. The church, yes, does sometimes have terrible problems. Even today, we read the newspaper, the church voted what? <laughs> That's not the church if it voted that. Immorality in the church, you're going to have those immoral leaders? Oh, that's not the church. They just voted themselves out of the church. They no longer belong to Jesus. They just testified to everybody, I am not a believer. That's what, how I look at it. That's what the scriptures teach me to say. So they can say that they're leaders, but when they're like that, you know they're wolves. They don't care about this truth. We have to go back to the objectivity of the scriptures Place our trust there, not in our feelings, not in what the media is saying, not in what's cool, but what's true. Well, let me just finish up here um, quickly as we look at the end. We saw, find that one other thing, they not only made an important decision, they communicated it. Uh, this is such an important part of things. Uh, even within our own church, you know, we, we, sometimes the leaders, we, we know what we decided, oh, that's a good decision, but we don't communicate it. And we wonder, why aren't people excited about things? Well, he just never told them, you know? And we just do so poorly here sometimes. Um, husband, you know, well, I know what I'm going to do about it, but I never told my wife. So she's wondering, she's saying, what about this and what about that? And I said, well, why do you keep mentioning this over and over? And just because I made the decision doesn't mean I communicated it. This is a big issue. It might seem trivial to you, but I really applaud these people, these leaders here, who thought enough of implementing it within their decisions, not only in making the decision, how they were going to communicate it. And, and this is what they did here. It seemed good to the apostles, the elders, the whole church, to choose men among them, to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among them, brethren, and they sent this letter. They actually made up a letter. So they wrote down what was important, uh, they had unity, they sent representatives that were respected by everybody, that could be trusted, and they determined to communicate things. I applaud them. We all can learn from this so much. So the letter basically was just a summary of what we already talked about and I'm not really going to talk about who uh, was writing, the apostles, the brethren. We all agree. So the consensus, they're passing it on. Identifying what the problem was, verse 24, the consensus of what we want, uh, three things they need to abstain from. Uh, we're sending respectable men. You know, They're verifying this written message, so they're going to go as deliverers. They'll preach to you. They'll tell you what will happen. I like this, that God and man decision. Back here it says... Um, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, three-quarters way down, and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. They knew the Holy Spirit was working. They sensed God's Spirit. And you can tell, to me, this was a greater miracle than any type of healing, speaking in a tongue, or anything. When God's people were willing to see the, seek the truth together in love and be able to Give up some of their priorities, but I love eating that stuff. No, but okay, for their sake, I'll do it. And, and we just hold back for the sake of everybody because we have a goal that's larger than our stomach. The goal is for one, unity, for God's love to manifest it here. And the promise is if we do that, 
If we seek that larger goal of harmony, forgive, forgiving people, yes. Uh, we're not perfect, but okay, I'll still help them. Yes. You know, those kind of decisions we make in ourselves, that God will manifest his love in a greater way in our community here. These are the resolutions. This is what we find here. So uh, they went up there, verse 30 to 35. They had a congregation, congregation. I mean, they went all the way up to Antioch in Syria there. They read the letter. Uh, people were really encouraged. Uh, it was a special message. People grew. And they stayed there for a while. So let me just close here by just summing up some of these things that we've been learning here. Having problems, misunderstandings, that's common, that's okay. But don't be afraid of the truth. Believe it's okay. It will lead you closer to the Lord. Don't let life rotate around a problem. You'll have anxiety and fears. They will preoccupy you. Satan has already at that point interfered in your life. Keep a matter like this small and trust the Holy, trust the Holy Spirit to work out and keep perspective. Meanwhile, keep shining. Focus on harmonious living rather than fitting people into your standards as a judge. That larger goal of harmony doesn't mean we don't have beliefs, doesn't mean we don't seek the truth. God's special way is, is bringing us all together as one people, even though we might differ on different things. That's the testimony of our love. It doesn't matter so much. I'll let God deal with them. If you're so concerned, pray. But never give up in devoting yourself. God's grace should always keep us humbly serving. Grace means I don't deserve it, but I'm thankful that I can be here. Remember, it's Jesus who sets us free, not our works. We praise God for that. We point people to follow Jesus in their own context, the Gentiles. Now, this is a big missionary problem. We go in, we want people to be like us. Well, you first have to dress this way, sing our songs. You know, I, I go, one half of India sings Western songs. The other side of India sings Indian songs. Why are they singing Western songs? Why are we sending worship teams over there to tell them how to worship? I don't understand that. There's something that's wrong. They haven't learned how to worship Jesus in their own culture. Let them spring up and be able to praise God. God will lead. Let the Holy Spirit lead. We still are so preoccupied about our way that we express our own belief and praise. Care about others. Genuinely listen to them. And lastly, love the truth. Love it. It's God's truth that will set you free. This is what God wants to bring into your life. And I would say every sin, every problem that we have in our relationship is always because we don't believe the truth enough, not because we know it. You might know it up there, but it still has resonated in deeply in your life. What a wonderful God that he's given us a community where we can love one another, families where we can trust one another, where we can trust the Holy Spirit to work out things we could never work out, and we can focus on what's so important and shine in the message of life and love. Let's close in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you that you're working in the church today all around the world. Yes, Lord, it's sad to see that some people have testified that they are pro-immoral things. We acknowledge, Lord, that the wolves have entered some parts of your church and occupied it, so no longer is it the people of God there. They no longer love and respect your truth. Lord, help us to be careful, Lord, 
For every step of advance, we're going to have an enemy to attack us. We pray, Lord, that we would be committed to your truth. We pray that we would be committed to loving one another. We would pray that we'd be committed to the gospel, believing in Jesus, that we would be those people committed to spreading your gospel. Empower us, O Lord. Cleanse us from our sin. And may the great name of Jesus be praised all throughout the world. And Jesus come again soon. In Christ we pray. Amen. Acts 15. Making Significant Decisions. A study of the book of Acts. This has been produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom by Paul Bucknell. Releasing God's truth to a new generation.